Business is brought to you by Audible.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Married with a Business. I'm Craig. And I'm Allison. And we're Married with a Business. We're here to share some tips and tricks and stories about what it's like to be a married couple that own and operate a business together and just some general business information for you, Allison. This week, we got a great show, but before we start... Do you feel better that we're now getting back into the groove of a new year? Yes, our kids were home for an extra long time this year because of COVID. We had some time before Christmas and they were home after Christmas. So it's been great for everybody to get back into the regular routine of things. Yeah, try to get back into just a, a schedule again. You know, Christmas time throws that all off. And then with the school starting later in the new year this year because of COVID, it's been crazy. But and all the cookies. All the cookies, all the bad food for us. So yeah. Allison, this week on the show, we have some awesome guests uh, that are returning. Yeah, Jennifer Smith and Kate Roth from Murphy Business Sales of Cape are back. And this time they're going to talk about understanding the difference between value and sellability in your business and how to get started and looking at the big picture of your company and the things you should be thinking about before you're ready to sell. Yeah, so let's take a listen to that interview. Jennifer Smith and Kate Roth from Murphy Business Sales. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Good to see you. Yeah, guys. Thanks for being back on the show. And we're excited to have you on today because we're going to talk uh, to our listeners a lot about value versus sellability of your business. And you guys are experts in helping people prepare and get ready and then sell their businesses. That's exactly right. So let's just start with something a, a, a kind of broad What is the difference between value and sellability? Well, value comes down to the actual, what would it be worth on the open market? So an actual financial number versus sellability are the things that are going to help attract a larger and more qualified pool of buyers. So one's like the actual financial number and one's the more softer factors that would help people, you know, like in a house, it might be a great house, but if it has green shag carpet, it's going to limit your buyer pool. And it's really important for a business owner to weigh both of those things when preparing to sell their business. Yeah, it is important because we want to make sure when we sell someone's business that they don't um, outlive their money, right? So it's important that they work with their financial advisor and their accountant to understand what they're going to walk away from the sale with after things like commission and taxes and paying off debt and things like that. And that also that it fits into their larger financial picture and that um, if this is a big component of their retirement plan, that it's sufficient for them to retire on and and live the kind of lifestyle that they want to live. And if it's, you know, if it's not at the end of their uh, career, then we want to make sure that there's um, enough in there so that they can parlay that into their next adventure, their next business purchase or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. Um, So to do that, the value is important, yes, but also the sellability is important because uh, you know you want to make sure that you're able to attract, like Kate says, the largest number of pool of buyers. It, it's attractive to more people, and the more people it's attractive to, the more likely we are to be able to preserve that purchase price. And what kind of things, when you're looking at sellability, what are the areas that you look at? A big one is owner dependency. 
So if the owner is not involved heavily in the day-to-day operations, a buyer is going to be able to more easily see themselves stepping into the business. Whereas if the business is, you know, John Smith's cleaning service and everybody knows it just for John Smith and he is the face of the company and he's the one out doing all the sales, a buyer will have to be able to take on that role exactly and be able to trust that all those relationships will transfer with the business. Whereas if John Smith has pulled himself out of the business more the day-to-day and has a team running it, that has a huge sellability factor there. Um, Another thing that we've seen in the past is just the attractiveness of the facilities. We once had a buyer walk away from a deal just because he said, he went on a tour and he said, "I, I wouldn't be proud to show this place to my family and friends. So making sure that's attractive, your online presence is a big one right now because you know that's the first thing a buyer is going to go search once they know that it is your company for sale um, and just having policies and procedures in place and different things of that nature. So when you guys, a company comes to you and says, hey, we're looking to sell, what do you, and they've got some of those issues, either the online presence or the you know visual aspects or the owner dependency, what is the first suggestion that you guys tend to make for them to really look at before you present it for sale? Yeah. So the, the important thing is to identify the really big things that are going to be unattractive to a buyer or that's going to limit the buyer pool and start to kind of systematically address those things. So, and, and sometimes those things, they don't have to happen in sequence. They can be happening Um, at the same time. So for instance, if you've got some negative online Google reviews, you can start getting some positive ones to help counteract the negative ones or bury some um, negative comments online with some positive comments. You can be cleaning up the website, refreshing your brand a little bit while you start building up your management team a little bit and start stepping out of the day-to-day. So a lot of these things can happen at the same time, but they really do need to happen before we go to market. Now, that's assuming that uh, at the point at which somebody starts this conversation, that they have time, right? And occasionally, well, more than occasionally, uh, we get the phone call that someone's been diagnosed with something, or someone has a family member or loved one that's been diagnosed with something, and we simply don't have time. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you sell the business, you get what you can get, the buyer pool is what it is, um, and and you really don't have much time to fix some of the problems. Um, you know, so that that's always a consideration. But when we have time to uh, do something about what we see, um, that does nothing but preserve and sometimes even enhance the value of the business. Have you guys over the years that you've been working, is there like an ideal timeline that you see? Like if someone can come to you so many months before they're hoping to start looking for buyers, what what do you guys think the ideal timeline to start thinking about selling is? We usually tell people it's three to five years before they're ready to exit the business because that gives us time to make those changes. And also when a buyer is buying a business, they look at the past three years of financials. So we want, so ideally that five-year timeframe, that way we've got two years to really start working on things. And then we can have three years of operating at that peak performance to really increase the actual value and give that a buyer confidence and that the numbers are what they are. 
And so that goes into one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and probably more on the value side, is, you know, a lot of business owners, you know, throughout the year, you know, when they're operating their business, they look at a lot of ways to, you know, drive down that taxable income. And so as you get closer to selling your business and you guys talk about it, recasting and being prepared to sell your business, what are some things you guys recommend on the value side of the business? Yeah. So the, the, the recasting process is important because yeah, like you said, you know, every business owner is trying to drive down taxable income and some people are more creative at that than others. Right. (laughs) So there's some expect it's kind of some normal and expected creativity that happens uh, when you're trying to drive down that doesn't give your accountant too much heartburn. And then there's some more uh, level level 10 uh, egregious things that keep your accountant up at night. <laughs> and, and we don't want those level 10 holy cow uh, things that, that some business owners do. We don't want that in the last three years, right before you're trying to sell. So we tell people, you know, if you're doing some some normal stuff, that's perfectly fine. And if your accountant's fine with it, we're probably going to be fine with it. But if there's a a second home or some alimony or college tuition or, um, you know, a lot of personal expenses or something like that, those kind of things that go through sometimes on a business that, um, you know, we probably need to like stop doing that stuff three years before you're ready to sell. That way a buyer isn't going to be looking at that. The other thing is um, most of the time with interest rates the way they are, a buyer is going to take that to a lender. And sometimes that lender is going to look at it for SBA qualification. You don't want to have a lot of that really egregious uh, stuff um, in the financials. Yes, we can recast it out, but that makes a banker kind of nervous when you're doing a lot of, of nickel and dime type stuff or some really egregious add backs. So yeah, the, the, are we going to recast it and, and get rid of that stuff? Yes, but let's kind of keep that stuff to a minimum three years before you're ready to sell. When someone comes to you, what are the top three things you think they need to do to, or have ready to be prepared to sell? Yeah, I would say let's have some good, clean books. That's the first thing. Um, so let's have a good, clean uh, three years worth of tax returns. Let's have your QuickBooks in good shape. Um, let's make sure that your accountant has reviewed everything and cleaned everything up so that when we get the financials, they are in really, really good shape. And let's let's point out clean books there. Some people have multiple businesses they're running, and sometimes those expenses or the books entirely are intermingled. And if we're only sep- selling off one division or one company that you own, having separate books for each company is really beneficial there. Because we've run into that recently where we've kind of had some commingled expenses between two companies. It gets really hard to prove what's what. Yeah. Yeah. We're dealing with that right now. And that can be really confusing um, when we're taking partial tax returns and uh, expenses are spread kind of all over the place. And and that gets kind of, we almost kind of fabricate what financials are supposed to look like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and then that makes a bank really nervous because they're loaning on something that you didn't file with the IRS. So, so I would say clean books are really important. And when someone's starting to think about that three to five year out process and starting to look into who they're going to work with to sell their business, somebody like you guys with Murphy Business Sales, what kind of questions should they be asking? Yeah. So I think it's important for people to understand that um, a, a business broker should absolutely pay for themselves in the transaction, Right. So, um, you know, you can either look at a business broker as an added expense 
or you can look at them as someone that is going to make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to get for the business, um, or from the buy side uh, perspective, that you're not overpaying for something. Um, they, they should be paying for themselves in the transaction. Um, but really, I think people need to be aware of the fact that business brokerage is not a regulated profession. So, you know, when you go to an attorney, you kind of know if they pass the bar that they've at least got a certain level of knowledge. Um, a CPA, if they have those initials after their name, that they have a certain level of knowledge because they passed the CPA exam. With business brokers, there isn't anything like that, right? So you can look at the alphabet soup after somebody's name and kind of infer as to whether or not they're board certified or whatever, but you don't have to be board certified to be a business broker. You don't have to have a merger and acquisition um, designation in order to do try to do bigger deals. And so what that means is you get a lot of folks that kind of try their hand at, um, at, at merging companies or helping companies with acquisitions or whatever, and you don't really have any assurance that they know what they're doing. And so um, that's a little bit scary, right? So there seems to be kind of a chasm between uh, a, a broker that, you know, on, on one end of the spectrum that may not really be qualified to be doing what they're doing and could really mess things up in a lot of different ways. Or you've got, you know, uh, new, slick New York City bankers with, you know, Armani suits and, and fancy shoes and things like that, that certainly they know what they're doing, but they're doing really big, complicated deals that end up on the Wall Street Journal. So you kind of need to know where you want to fall in that continuum and who you want to work with. It's also a very personal and very emotional experience for a lot of sellers. So you want to make sure that you connect well with your business broker and that it's somebody that you really trust and that you're confident that they've got the expertise and the experience and the credentials and background to be able to handle your transaction regardless of, of the size. And with business brokers, it's unlike a, a real estate agent that may be in your town or, you know, business brokers aren't a dime a dozen like you find on the corner. You know, what is, is it, is regionality important with a business broker or do most business brokers work nationwide? How does that, how does that work? Yeah. Most business brokers tend to be a little bit more geographically constrained. So um, if you have one in your city, they probably typically work within maybe a hundred mile radius of where they're located for the most part. Um, it tends to be a little bit like real estate in that sense, although a real estate agent is is very, very different from a business broker, right? Real estate agents deal with bricks and mortar and, and business brokers deal with the cash flowing business that operates inside the building. So you, that's a good question. You need to, to really look at that because um, most business brokers are kind of geographically centered. Um, and then others are, are a little bit more like us where we work in all four time zones every day. We're fairly industry agnostic, and we tend to have a, a very um, clear ideal client profile. And if that ideal client happens to be in California, so be it. If that idea, ideal client happens to be in South Carolina or Texas or, or Montana, so be it. Um, so we service uh, nationwide, um, but not a lot of brokers have the kind of uh, footprint uh, that we do and, and the kind of business model that we do. And with that, brokers, not only about ge geographically, but also 
size-wise or volume-wise, there are some business brokers that do multi-million dollar giant corporations, some that are more configured for small, you know, mom and pop business, you know, so that should be something that you consider as well when you're selecting somebody, correct? Yeah. So um, just because somebody can sell a little business doesn't mean they can sell a big one. And just because they're uh, proficient at selling big ones doesn't mean that that they're good at little ones. Um, really, there's two different kind of sandboxes, if you will. Um, and the breakover point is about three to five million Um at less than three to five million, and it's something that's owner operated, is typically considered a main street business. Um, and that has one set of kind of rules and valuation criteria and kind of one set of experiences, if you will, um, that a business broker should or could be able to handle. Once you get over that three to five million, you get into what's called the lower middle market from three to five million to up to about 50 million. That's considered lower middle market. That has different valuation implications. You need different levels of experience and expertise, different board certifications and things like that uh, to work with that group. Um, and that's typically kind of a that's a that's a more difficult area to find a good business broker to work in um, because you're some you're you're between the the small Main Street broker and the big uh, New York City investment bankers. You know, you're, you're just kind of in the middle there. Um, and there just aren't that many people that serve the lower middle market like we do. Wow, that's great. I think this has been really helpful to learn more about value versus sellability. If people have more questions, how can they reach out to you guys? Where can we where can they find Murphy Business Sales of Cape? Yeah, so our website is murphybusinessofcape.com. And our phone number is 573-335. 1885. Great. Thank you so much for coming on today, Jennifer and Kate. We really appreciate it. And we really love all of the wonderful information that you've been able to provide us. It's always a pleasure. Thanks Thanks for for having us. It was a really great to get a good sense of what the difference between value and sellability is. I really liked the way that Kate explained that. Yeah, I always love when Jennifer and Kate are on the show and they, they really help us, you know, just gain this knowledge as business owners. Because a lot of times as a business owner, you don't think about what's the next phase? Like, where does it go from here? So for them to be able to take some time and explain to us the difference between like the value and the cost of it versus the sellability and like, like us as owners being involved and how we need to think about that, you know, and how much it can be a little bit harder to sell the business if you are the integral portion of the business versus if you start to, as you and I are trying to do with our business, you know, Get, get some of those hats and give them to other people. Right. And how I liked how she talked about the value, which is, you know, the financials, the client base, the legal structure versus the sellability, which is like the culture, what it looks like, what it feels like, how it operates. You know, those are things that you've got to start working on well before you're ready to sell. And I liked how she kind of gave some timelines to how far out you need to be thinking about those things. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in an ideal world. Yeah, I agree. Like in the, in the idea of, of, you know, getting your books in order in a three to five years before you are ready to sell your business is so intriguing to me because yeah, as business owners, and I bet you they have some great stories to tell, but as, as business owners, you know, sometimes you may do things in your books that aren't necessarily good for the sell sellability of your business. Right. Um, you know, it's about think, 
thinking proactively, kind of like when you're planning your own personal estate, you know, what's that look back period? What's how far in advance do you need to, you know, have your ducks in a row? And then how do you figure out how to get those ducks in a row? If you get a chance, go and check out Jennifer and Kate. They're great. Just look on our social media. You'll see links to all their websites and stuff. It's Murphy Business of Cape, and uh, they're great. Check them out. Google them. It's a they're, It can be really helpful for you if you're getting ready and starting to think about selling your business. And it's never too early to call them. If you're if you're 10 years out, if you 10 years is probably a perfect number to call them, and they'll help guide you. Yeah, they've got some they've got some advice and programs and stuff that they can help you with. You know to get ready for that to be ready to sell yeah so definitely check them out also guys don't forget we have a great deal we uh work with audible audible is a great place to get and listen to books that you know will help you grow your business and will help you as a person and we'll give you a free 30 days it's on us just go to audibletrial.com slash biz that's audibletrial.com slash biz you get a free 30 days of audible we love audible i mean it's like a book a week for you, practically. Practically, I've um, got a, I've got a few to catch up on, but I love listening to it. And twenty twenty two year of Audible for me is my goal. All right, I like it. I'm gonna download some stuff for you. There you go, Harry. Everybody, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can look for us online. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Viz Married. You can also search for us on Facebook. And next week, guys, we have a great show for you. We're gonna be talking about planning for the unexpected and some of the things that Allison and I have done to help our family be prepared for those things that you hope never happen. So make sure you hit the like, the subscribe button, and check out that episode next week. And thanks for listening this week. And thanks to Jennifer and Kate for joining us on the show. And remember, not only is it important to focus on your business, but also your marriage. Because we're married with a business. <laughs>